Goodbye, University. Hello, everyone. This is Jeanette hosting our LOA book club for January 2015. I'm laughing because Nancy was sharing something I thought really interesting. I said, you know what? Hang on. I want to get this on the recording. And I thought I started to hear you say, no, you don't, Jeanette. I think this is helpful to know. We were talking about the kinds of books that you just keep handy to just open for inspiration. And Nancy was saying Catherine Ponder's book is that for her. I was saying um, Ramtha's white book has been that for me, but I can see how Catherine Ponder's will be that for me when I crack that one open next. And but Ramtha's, then, um, Ramtha's white book is also another one of those for me. I totally love it. It is. Huh? Totally. Yeah. Love it. yeah. Well, and they're so big. It covers so much stuff that it's like a wide variety of things that we could be opening the page to. So I don't know. I, I, I like having those books around. But um, Nancy was mentioning that she recently reread Ask and It Is Given. And it's funny that you'd say that, Nancy, because I was thinking about how long it's been since I watched The Secret. And I've never read the book. I assume it's just like a transcript of the movie. But for all the people who ask me my opinion of it, I'm really relying on some very old memories of of what that – movie that experience was for me and um so it, it made sense to me when you said you picked up asking it is given because you recommend it so often to clients that you thought you'd reread it yeah and and it was telling what i was saying before we hit recording was that you know they were saying all along if we were open to receiving what they were saying they were saying all along we are literally imagining our life into being moment by moment by moment, which is kind of what Bashar's message is Bashar. as well. Mm-hmm. You know? And Abraham was saying the same thing, except that if you weren't like picking up on the the message, it, you know, I, I, I remember back when I first read Asking It Is Given, um, you know, some of the things that they were saying were, relatively new. I mean, I'd heard them in The Secret. I've heard them on their intro CD. I've heard, you know, some of their quotes and so forth. But when I read the book the first time, I was reading it from a different level of consciousness than I am now. Because it's been mm, eight mm-hmm. years, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, so anyway, it's wonderful to reread it and kind of be nodding my head the whole time while I'm reading it going, yep, 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 I get that, yep, yep. <laughs> and um and so yeah I do I think there's a benefit to having those kinds of books Rance's white book uh Asking it is given by Abraham Hicks uh the dynamic laws of prosperity by Catherine Ponder and there's probably many other books we could add to that list of just you know have them by your bedside so that you can flip them open and receive inspiration you know anytime you Neville Neville's uh complete reader will be oh, on yeah. my list of of books yeah. like that for, for me as well. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at my shelf to see if there are any others that that I really use that way. I nothing's really jumping out at me, but um, yeah, it it is interesting how a book can be completely different for us when we come back to it years later. So yes, I do have I'm, a copy of The Secret in Spanish. <laughs> that was one of my incentives to. Uh, I thought that would be a fun way to play with learning a new language. Uh, I have yet to actually use it in that way, but I do have a written form of the secret, just not in English. <laughs> oh, you mean the 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 book, the secret? Yes, which is different from yes. asking it is given. Yeah. Yes. Right. Obviously. And and yeah. I would I would send you an extra copy of the secret, but nowadays they have it 
I mean, you can get it for free on YouTube. Just search. You know, secret. You know what? <laughs> what I was thinking about about how I had the copy that had Abraham in it, uh-huh. and um, I at the time I didn't know that was going to be one to keep, but my editor had never seen it. So I told her, oh my gosh, you've got to see this. It was fair. It was new at the time. Like it hadn't been out, hadn't gotten popular at all. So I gave her the copy of my DVD and I never got it back. <laughs> and when they made new ones that didn't have Abraham in it, I was like, really Greta, I'd like my, my copy of the secret back. And she's like, oh, I gave that to you a long time ago, which she hadn't. I was like, oh, and someday she's uh, so, going to come across it and go, damn, I told her I gave that back. Oh, my God, there it is. <laughs> it would be great. It, it would be I great if she did and said, hey. I bought three good. copies of it. I bought three copies, mm. and I sent two to my family. Who Of the original looked, with Abraham in it? Of the original with Abraham. Who And I was like, uh, well, I was just so flipped out over the, the movie. And um, I sent it to my family. And it's interesting because the kind of the majority response from them was, meh, meh, okay, meh, whatever. And uh, so I was like, okay, fine. If you're not interested, send them back to me. And I had one sister who said, well, you know, if you don't mind, I'll keep on a hold of my copy for, you know, it, for a while. And uh, and ironically, that's the sister who a couple years later, she it looked like she was going to be going through a divorce. And somebody handed her the secret, the book, and she flipped out over it. She thought it was fantastic. Really? And I was like, um, excuse me, uh, you know that video that you held on to? Uh, I gave that to you in 2006. Wow. <laughs> you know, would you please go back? And, and she was like, oh, my God, that's the same thing. And I was like, yeah. You know, and then she was relieved to have somebody to talk to about the concepts of law of attraction and so forth. And it turned out she ended up not getting divorced. So, Wow. Yeah, but anyway. You know, I was just yeah. searching to see what those are worth because I, the last time I looked, like a copy of The Secret with Esther in it was over $100. It, it was, and then it dropped back down again. Now I think you Did can it? get it. Mm-hmm. Can you buy? Can you seriously? You could buy it because I looked on. I'm looking on Amazon, and I'm only finding, like you know, the current edition. Yeah, you have to specifically look for the one with Esther Hicks in it. And I think the last time I saw, you could get a copy for ten bucks. <laughs> wow. Maybe I ought to just pick one up so I can stop thinking my editor should give me mine back. Yeah. And and it's interesting so, too, even watching the the secret again. It's things that I didn't pick up the first time that I. Um, Robert is in chat and he's saying he's pretty sure his is the original. I'll have to check. Um, but uh, even watching that one, there's you know, there, like there's different comments that um, uh, Wolf, what's this guy's first name? The guy that the quantum physics guy, um, Fred Allen. Fred Allen. Yeah. Fred Allen Wolf. Yeah. Fred Allen Wolf. Yeah. He. Um, he made some very, very interesting quotes, like quantum physics is showing us that the universe does not exist without the mind. That sounds familiar. Yeah. And when you realize how deep that is, that goes back to us humans imagining our own reality into being. And, um, yeah. Pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. 
So, and Robert's here. Hi, Robert. Robert's in chat. I guess he's not dialed in. He's Hello, going Robert. To, he's going to work in a little bit. So, so you've been reading a book, Jeanette. What's the book you've well, been Well, the one I wanted to share about today is called Wizards, The Myths, Legends, and Lore by Aubrey Sherman. And it's a cute book. It's got a really fun cover. It's small. And it just looked like it was for fun, like um, a look at how wizards have appeared both in in our in real life as well as in our fiction, in our movies, in our books. Um, so I got to say that it was it. I'm not done reading it, but I really have enjoyed just spending time with wizards and magic. And there were a couple of things I wanted to share, but this isn't like one of those books that's got really cool, deep thoughts that are going to take a long time to to review but um so in the here's how the book is laid out the part one is on the world of magic and it covers who are wizards the power of magic and a wizard's equipment and part two is great wizards of history it's, it's got an entire chapter devoted to merlin and then the next chapter is wizards of the west and then wizards of the east and then part three is Wizards of Story. So they've got a chapter on Harry Potter, well, the Wizards of Harry Potter. Um, and then Chapter 8 is Other Wizards on the Bookshelf. Oh, Jeanette, Nine I have a question. Is, yeah. I have a question. Was the information on Merlin insightful in regards to your kitty cat, Bombay? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, i got to say, I think that guy is having so much fun with me because... I, I sat down, oh, what was I doing last night? I sat down after doing something. I think it was maybe after taking Melanie's dog to the vet. Um, what did we do? For, I can't remember, but I had a minute. I sat down. Oh, and Russ had the TV on. And I flipped a station or I turned the sound on. I don't know. Somehow on the TV, this some guy announces, oh, I think I remember the name of the movie. Oh, dang it. movie was it? Oh. I can't remember, but but some guy announces. Uh, he said, "I'm Merlin and I'm back," <laughs> just like that. I am Merlin and I'm back, and I, I just it made, it cracked me up because I couldn't help but think of my cat, and uh, and then yeah, this book which I bought a while ago and I didn't start reading until about a week ago, and then at, at Merlin was my favorite chapter, and probably a lot of that has to do with my kitty kitty. <laughs> For those who don't know what I'm talking about, I had that cat who, he was an orange and white cat. I posted some pictures of him in the forum last year where it was still cold. So it must have been early last year when he first showed up. But I was kind of concerned because here's a cat who doesn't appear to have a home and he's he's hanging out at my place. So I brought him inside. I gave him his own room because he was kind of ornery with the other cat. Well, they were ornery with him. He doesn't respect cats like cats like to be respected. He didn't give them a wide berth at all. Anyway, he got his own room, and he he came and went as he pleased because he wasn't a cat who was down with totally being indoors. Long story short, eventually one day he did not come back, and that's after I had him for months. Well, I didn't exactly have him. I was mostly just his crash pad, and uh, I was trying really hard not to worry about what happened to him, and I was trying. I was really – it was quite an effort for me to focus in a way that – was tuning into his well-being instead of his demise. And he just showed up the other day. One of the neighbors, well, here's how he showed up. One of the neighbors' Facebook message saying, 
hey, do you still have that orange and white cat? And I was like, first of all, I never had that orange and white cat. I tried to get you guys to have that orange and white cat because I have enough cats. But, no, I haven't seen them in months. And she said, well, there's some, someone in the ward is circulating a photo of an orange and white cat. I wondered if it was yours. I was like, first of all, he's not mine. And second, um, yeah, forward me that. But I thought it couldn't be him because she would have recognized him. And uh, she sent it over, though, and it was him. It was totally him. So I called the woman who had him in her laundry room. She's had him in there since October. And uh, we, after we chatted, we decided I would come get him. And so he's kind of sort of back. <laughs> he he uh, He's spending nights here. He's spent like two or three nights. I don't know how long it's been. But he does. He goes out in the morning, and then I see him again at nighttime. <laughs> so it's kind of a cool gig. I really like that guy. But I did eventually call him Merlin because I just thought he was so magical how he was popping in and out and playing by his own rules and he seemed kind of magical to me. Yeah, totally. I mean, <clears throat> I think he's your wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Merlin's your little wizard kitty. And he's you know, also I could tell he's also clearly there not just to teach you but to teach the other cats too cuz he kind of has his, you know, his Well, he 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 runs his own agenda, that's for sure. He's not trying to fit in. But he's also, he's kind of fearless, too. Like, he's not a, he's not afraid. He's not afraid, really. It's so interesting. Although he wasn't really excited about Melanie's puppy. But um, yeah, he has done a, a variety of magical things that that really just gave me pause about, okay, who is he and what is he up to? I think, though, his biggest lesson to me has been learning how to allow, like, because all of my training in rescue world is that responsible cat owners keep their cats indoors. They don't let them outside because bad things happen when cats go outside. And that's been ingrained in me for years, enough so that uh, I sometimes do feel a little irresponsible and I have to remind myself why I am letting cats go outside. And I have to remember that um, – how to practice allowing instead of control, thinking I can be in charge of someone's well-being by fighting their nature and even mine because I even think it's cool for cats to be able to go outside and be in the sun and roll around in the grass and even hunt a few birds. So uh, not that I would ever be critical of someone who didn't allow that, but some cats seem more suited for an indoor life than others. And there have been a couple who just were not down with my rule of, we got to stay in the house. So I eventually learned how to how to allow their desires without freaking out and thinking that meant that they were going to they were that they were headed for a an early demise. So he continues to teach me how to relax, how to trust, how to enjoy and let others enjoy, <laughs> live and let live and not worry what other people think. <laughs> So um, that may very well be what drew me to this book. I don't know. I, mag magic in general is always a fun topic. And this one, it's not like it's instructional. It's just reviewing how wizards have shown up for us in a variety of ways. So here in the first chapter, it says, um, oh, what is, what's important about a wizard is not what she or he looks like, but what the wizard does. Fundamentally, a wizard is someone who manipulates reality using magic. Uh, and I think depending on how you define magic, that pretty much applies to all of us at GVU, if you ask me. But he does have, or she lists different types and levels of wizards. It includes the apprentice, the hedge wizard, 
the mystic, the seer, the shaman, the sorcerer. Just got a couple others on the list. And what else did I want to share here? Uh, this was kind of a fun part. In Chapter 2, The Power of Magic, she writes one of the types of magic. Most wizards specialize in one or another type of magic, such as incantations, which are spells, um, evocations, divinations, or alchemy. However, they must be familiar with all types. This, this whole study of wizards kind of turns me on, even though you know I know this is totally made up. Because a lot of what she's studying here, where she, what she's reporting in on, are fictitious figures. But I still really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was light. Not done. Oh, wait. There was one part I have marked here that I wanted to share. What is this? Oh, my gosh. So I never really understood. I only know Alistair Crowley from the song by, is it Ozzy? Who's, who's, is there a heavy metal band that sings about Alistair Crowley? I don't know, but he's he was quite infamous. Alistair, quite. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so it says that there were a lot of rumors about that he was um, a satanist or something, and but that he not only he didn't deny those rumors, he kind of perpetuated them. But it, but that but he wasn't. That's not what he practiced. It's, he kind of had a cool history. So it says he was born in. And the reason we ha- oh, and this is the conclusion of the book. So, throughout this book, we have considered primarily wizards of lore and legend. However, there have been real life wizards as well. We've mentioned a few of them: John D. I don't know how to, how to pronounce this. C A G L I O S T R O, Cagliostro maybe, mm-hmm. Nicholas Flamel, Paracelsus, P R A A P A R A C E L S U S. I don't know how to pronounce it, and others. Before we end, we should consider one more, a man who had a profound impact on modern wizardry, Aleister Crowley. And it said he became notorious in the 20th century as an exponent of magic and mysticism and all sorts of absurd rumors swirled around him. He regularly performed black masses. I don't know what that is. He was in league with, oh, he became notorious for this. He was in league with the devil and so on. But in truth, he was born in England in 1875 to a highly religious family. He became fascinated in his youth with mystical spiritual experiences. In 1898, he joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, an organization founded 10 years prior on the teachings of Hermes Trismegistus, though it also incorporated elements of the Kabbalah, alchemy, astrology, and other elements of Eastern mystical traditions. That sounds like a cool thing to study, if you ask me. He became a protege of the leader, Alan Bennett, who introduced him to drug use? Okay, maybe I wouldn't have liked that part. As a way of heightening his consciousness and making him more open to spiritual experiences. And then it says when, when Crowley was in Egypt with his wife Rose, she became possessed by a messenger of the god Horus named A-W, I mean A-I-W-A-S-S. The spirit dictated a book to Crowley, which was titled The Book of the Law, and this work became the keystone of Crowley's later philosophy. He announced himself the prophet of a new age for humanity, and um, oh, magic was central to this, and Crowley defined it as the art and science of causing change to occur in conformity with will. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. And then it says, later he founded a community in Sicily. He developed his ideas and published a series of books, including Magic in Theory and Practice and Magic Without Tears. I don't know what that would be. Much, But I was actually I was wondering, is that worth checking out? Much of his magical practice was devoted to sex magic, which he believed was essential to gain higher knowledge. Yes. yes. 
And then it says he suffered from poverty and increasingly from addiction to heroin and died in 1947. So, mm-hmm. so again, my hus- I, I only knew the name from the song. So, that was so my, my second husband, who had been the Buddhist monk, had an interest in and was studying the Kabbalah. And he was a member of some um, uh, orders that focused on, you know, the Kabbalah and mysticism and all that kind of stuff. And he had a book all about Alistair Crowley. And we were looking at it one day, and they had pictures of him performing some of these quote unquote um, um, ceremonies. And, you know, I got to say, if he was on drugs, that would actually make a lot of sense. <laughs> because <laughs> really? some of the pictures, you know, we have another word for what was in those pictures. We call those orgies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but my he called them, they oh, my God. They called them sex ceremonies, you know, and the power wow. of sex and all that. And he would, you know, call upon the virgins to, you know, sacrifice themselves to him. And, um, yeah, you know, it was he was infamous. <laughs> wow. You know, I, you know I, I, yeah. it doesn't feel appropriate for me to end my discussion around wizards on Aleister Crowley because literally it's like three pages devoted to him. Most of this is like Harry Potter stuff and, um, oh, oh, wizards I think that aren't as challenging to embrace, uh, yeah. be interested in getting familiar with. Yes, thank you, Nancy. But uh, what, yeah. Of the things that I learned, that was one of them. I <laughs> didn't know that about Aleister Crowley. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it sounds good on the surface if you see it in writing, but when you actually look at the pictures, you're like, uh, <laughs> okay. I, but you know what? I, the, drug yeah. use, the drug use actually kind of explains it in a way because somebody who is, you know, high might really think they're doing something transformational and wonderful, mm-hmm. and maybe they are in their own world, but mm-hmm. to the rest of us, it might not appear as the same thing. But yeah, he's kind of a challenging person um, because, you know, he did do some good stuff too. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he's kind of remembered for the, probably the stuff he did when he was under the influence. You know, that's the kind of stuff he's going to remember for. So. Wife getting possessed in Egypt. Oh, that's. You know what that sounds like yeah. to me when you read that? Like she just became a channel. I was going like, to say, does it remind you of Ari, Jester and Jester and Ari? <laughs> Ari Jester. <laughs> Jester and I like Ari. that Jester and Ari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Esther Ham. Yes, totally. It it does. Huh. You know, I can see how even Abraham or Esther herself when she first went to that channeler was afraid that it was going to be some kind of a, you know, spooky um, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But then when she experienced it and the energy of it, she was like, actually, this is really nice. So, yeah, again, um, the wording that's chosen, um, it yeah, sounds like possessed by versus, yeah, open right, the channel. Right, <laughs> she, she became an open channel for, you know, this you know resource so and of course so, I, said, I said it before i think we're all channels i mean the truth mm-hmm. is all the yep. source energy flowing through us and we can be open to it and receive or not yeah you know i agree and that the most famous artists musicians writers of 
um, all of humanity. The most renowned and successful are those who have been open to that flow of energy and have embraced it and used it as part of you know what they do. You know, okay, I know this is our LOA book club, but that we include discussion around workshops and seminars and movies and such. I got to say that video clip you posted from Minnie Driver sitting in Abraham's hot seat was so interesting. I think I might, I'll either blog about it or put it in a newsletter because I have often wondered about actors who are really good at pretending. You Mm -hmm. know, we often hear stories of the roles. Remember that documentary I watched where the one guy, he always gets, he looks like a bad guy, so he always gets cast as the jerk, you know, like Uh the the bouncer or the the bad guy. And, um, And he said, like, that that it started to wear on him after a while. Like he started to become the characters that he was playing over and over and over again. Right. Okay. So it's made me so curious about about because I know some actors their process is different. But it sounds like what Minnie was saying when she was asking Abraham this question was, and this was in the second half of the interview. If anyone didn't make it through her whole first question, this was a brand new second question that she asked. Even though it's not a long interview, it was, or a long. Um, it was, I don't know, what, 12 minutes or so, maybe 15, I don't know. But uh, so she, she said, you know, she had a role that took her to places she'd never gone to before. And she was wondering, how did that translate for her reality? Because, you know, she's spending time in some vibrations that, and you know, she's really diving in. And Abraham's answer was basically, well, you know that it's not real. And, she, and, and I'm thinking, okay, for, for actors... It's their job to convince themselves that it is. Like, so for in this space, from the time that they yell action to cut, this is real. And for some, they even take it further than that. Like, they'd never come out of character in the time that they're filming. Right. They're massive actors where they they literally, they live it 24-7. They take it home. They bring it back to work. They take it home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, like, uh, what's his name? Who played Steve Jobs? Kutcher? What's his name? Kutcher. Adam Kutcher. Uh, what is his name? Ashton. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when he he started, he ate the things that Steve ate. He wore the clothes that Steve wore. I mean, like he was he was practicing being Steve in order to do a really good job in the role. So I thought it was a really good question. I've often wondered about it myself, and and i'm glad that minnie kind of pressed abraham a little further on it because the whole well you know you know it's not real i i kind of sort of get that um and nancy maybe there are other parts of abraham's answer that stand out for you but there was something when abraham said look there's a lot of things that go into your vibration i thought well that is so true um but they said look we're not going to say that that w- anything you practice doesn't eventually become part of your vibration so they acknowledged that, but it seemed like they were really trying to reassure her not to get too freaked out about it. But I thought she had a really valid question. And, and I frankly, think, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. What were you going to say? No, no, no. Well, no. well I, it, frankly, it would make me kind of careful if I if this was my how I made a living. I would. This would be in the back of my mind as I was choosing which roles. If I were lucky enough to be in the position, I know many actors are just happy to have any work at all. So they don't really get to choose what kinds of roles they say yes to and which they say no to. But I don't know how much I would want to play something that I wouldn't want 
to experience in real life. So, and that's a whole other interesting thing too. I to, to just comment on what Minnie was saying. What I got out of it was, listen, you can either be conscious about this or unconscious about this. And if you're conscious about it, you'll be fine. But if you're unconscious about it, yeah, that's where a lot of people, you know, end oh. up having some trouble. Well, it was. Oh, in fact, I think Alexandra uh, commented on it, saying what stood out for her was how Abraham's basically saying, look, you know it's pretend. And Minnie says, well, I mean, if we take it further, even our whole life, everything's pretend, right? Like, we're making it all up. Well, exactly. And Abraham said, yes, (laughs) indeed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is what I've been kind of trying to say over and over again at GVU for maybe the past three or four years is, hey, if we don't like what we've dreamed into being, we can dream something different. You know, it's mm-hmm. when people have a, a sticky issue, they're so convinced it's that sticky issue that's the problem. And if they just solve that sticky issue, then all, everything will be fine. And I keep saying, wait a minute, if you don't deal with the sticky issue, you're just going to be getting more sticky issues. You know, well, you're my cat kind of felt that way, right? Like when mm-hmm. I was starting to, I was starting to feel like Merlin was gone. Right. And um, that you was were clearly not what I wanted. Gone. Yeah, you were yeah. creating him gone when you were imagining him gone. Yes. yes. Yeah, which I did not want. So recognizing that that's what was happening. Oh, my gosh, how funny is this, Nancy? I just was thinking of how even at lunch today, a lot of my conversation with my dad was on the subject of Merlinite, the crystal. I'm like, seriously, wizards and Merlin, this is my world in so many ways. It's it's hilarious. Um, so, yeah, being able to rec- to withdraw from that and say, no, that's not what I'm creating. What I'm creating is, and I would look out the window and I'd say, hey, handsome, how you doing? Instead of, where is he? Right, <laughs> right. It's right, right. And and it, it, it goes across the board with everything, not just a missing cat. It's, you know, your success in business, your... Um, mm-hmm. thriving, joyful relationship. You know, look at the people who, you know, had been single forever, didn't have anybody in their life, but, you know, they reorganized their closet to make room for that special person. They imagined when they were in the bedroom, they imagined yeah. that their special person was just in the other room, you know. And before long, there was another person putting their yes. stuff in that closet, and there was another yes. person in the other room. Yeah. So remember how, um, remember how with my girlfriends I pretended that I had something to complain about with my body because that's how they connected was it complaining yeah. about their fat and cellulite and stuff and I joined in mm-hmm. and uh, sure enough didn't take long before cellulite made its first appearance <laughs> I was horrified I obviously had no power I had no idea of the power of scripting back then but. Uh, and yeah. the fact I that my you power know what? for good things. Mostly. And you know what, Jeanette? We're always scripting. Just like we're always affirming, yeah. we're always mm-hmm. scripting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, that. So that's where I thought the answer from Abe was really about, you know, um, clarity and so forth. The other thing I wanted to say when you were talking about actors who making, if you were an actor, you would only want to choose roles that you would actually want to live. The irony is, is that a lot of the more joyful, positive, uplifting roles are considered fluffy. 
and you know, not, you're so right. Like they and not, yeah, you're so yeah, right. and and the actresses or actors don't get taken seriously because they're in fluffy mm-hmm. roles. You know, so you see the ones they actresses. win the awards for, or when yeah, it's yeah, the gritty right. ones, the gritty, yep. miserable, awful, horrible. You know, um, <laughs> and and so here they are <clears throat> as as human beings. They're like heat-seeking missiles for these difficult roles. And if they're conscious about what they're doing, they can say, okay, I'm stepping into this costume and I'm just being this person in this costume for this period of time and I'm going to learn more about myself during that period of time and then I'm going to step out of that. Then then they're fine. And I've heard Johnny Depp talk about that. I've heard him talk about, you know, uh, taking on certain roles for a certain period of time and then very consciously taking them off and and letting them go. Um, and, you know, even um, Heath Ledger, you know, the um, actor, oh, yeah. who was, he was mm-hmm. playing the Joker in a mm-hmm. Batman movie, and it was getting him down, and he actually got sick, he got a cold, which is the reason he was taking the medication that he ended up ODing on. Um, and he had even been talking to people before he died, saying that the role was um, dragging him down. And as much as he had sought the he had sought the role and wanted the role, but once he got it, he was finding that um, it was really hard to interact with his kids and with, you know, other people because he was so immersed in that role and it was taking him to some really dark places. And and so I think it's it's one of those things about being an actor um that it behooves you to be conscious about the role that you're taking on. Um and well you know, and and to also remember remind ourselves what Abraham said which is that you know making that distinction between what's real and what's not. I mean that might help uh maybe like maybe that's some insurance against any effects of any sadness or anger that we've got to conjure up for our role. Just remember that it is. Just like when Abraham said, when you go to the movies, you know that it's it's not real. So that whatever emotions you're feeling while you're there, they end when you leave the theater because you know it was just a movie. Maybe it's the same thing with actors in the roles that they play. And and just as I had said, you know, it's just it's just it's good to be. It behooves the actor to be aware of the role they're taking on. I'm thinking to myself, hey, it would behoove every human being to yeah. be aware of the yeah. role they're taking on. Yeah. Are you taking on the role of the victim, who's mm-hmm. you know always in the middle of drama, or are you taking on the role of the person who's being conscious and clear mm-hmm. about what you want and um, sifting through the data and finding what you really want. Did you read that newsletter from Pam Grout just the other day ago? Hang on. Well, it was a blog post. Okay. The four major stages of reality shaping consciousness. Maybe this isn't what I was thinking of. Um, hmm, maybe not. But she, it's called, when did she publish this? January 14th. The four stages. The first one is the damn not again consciousness is what she's calling it. The starting gate for most of us is some manifestation of victim consciousness, and it varies from person to person. But the overarching theme is that we have no control over anything that happens in our life. Best we can do is work hard, cross our fingers. Um, number two is the woohoo, this is getting cool, consciousness. She said one of the next levels um, 
is where we realize we have a say, that we learn there are energetic laws that are just as reliable as physical laws. You know, this is kind of interesting because I was, I've been playing with a draft post called the, the Muggle Manifestor Scale, <laughs> like a seven-point scale on where we are with our reality-creating powers. It feels a little similar to what Pam's doing here. So um, she said, then the third one is the thank you, thank you, thank you consciousness. And she said she spent most of 2013 in that one. And then the fourth conscious, the fourth one is, I am one with all, uh, where, where there's no sense of separation from anything. That's it. Remember that brief? I put a post up from last week on my way to lunch. Just that I had a really brief glimpse of that energy, of that feeling. Uh-huh. When I say brief, I mean like one second. But it was kind of that. And it stood out so much that I posted about it as one of my highlights in 2015. <laughs> you've also had you've also had dreams. You also had dreams about the all consciousness that it's all good. Yeah. No, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. no matter what we label it, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very very true. Um, I forget now why I was bringing up that newsletter from Pam, but it had something to do with what you were just sharing. So well, I we I was saying how it how it behooves. Uh, actors as well as all human beings to really know what role you're taking on um, mm-hmm. and and be be clear about what you know what you're creating in the um, I had just shared it under good quotes at GBU um, oh, I saw I sh- that but I hadn't read it yet I shared a um, an excerpt from um, Eric Mizell has a series called 30 Days to Better Mental Health that he started at the beginning of January. And um, on day 14, um, it, the subject was only thinking thoughts that serve you, you know. And I ended up bolding. I could have folded the whole darn thing. But, you know, he was saying that thoughts are made up of words and underlying intentions. They arise because of those underlying intentions. So what he's saying is the thoughts arise because of the intentions that we're holding you know, mostly unconsciously within ourselves. He says, a thought may arise so as to help you because you are on your own side and motivated to live proudly and well. Or it may arise because you are feeling sad, angry, defeated, self-critical, or frightened. Um, He goes on to say that the words may sound the same in either case, but what, what they mean and what they are doing to you are different. In the first case, they are helping you, and in the second case, they are harming you. And he says a thought is not serving you if its underlying intention is to defeat you. Many true rational thoughts are really self-defeating declarations like be scared now or don't do that or you don't have a chance in hell. A thought like, wow, there are a lot of writers out there only means what it means to you. If to you it means I have no chance, it is not a thought that serves you. Don't allow yourself to countenance a thought just because a given string of words sounds plausible or truthful. Wow. I'm liking this guy better already. Discern why you are stringing those words together. And if you've created a thought so as to harm yourself, do not countenance that thought. Instead, have a serious chat with yourself about what's going on underneath. You are much more likely to think thoughts that serve you if you get on your own side and feel adamant about working the project of your life. Today, if and when you think a thought that feels off, ask yourself the following question, where did that come from? 
see if you can begin to discern the origins of the thoughts that harm you. Now, it's interesting because um, excess consciousness will say... Um, uh, so 99% of these thoughts aren't our own. Are our own and return return the thought to sender, sender. with consciousness, yeah. meaning it'll go back to where it came from, but with a higher consciousness that will help clear that that negative thought. Hmm. So, but anyway, I wanted to share that hey, because you know, yeah, I thought what he had to say well, was interesting. So, okay, I now in one of his others that I was reading, I saw reference to the project of your life or something along those lines. Do you know what he means by that? I think he's saying, you know, look at your life as, um, you know, he's talking, you have to realize that he's a creativity coach. In fact, he's the guy that kind of started creativity coaching. And he, um, he, yeah, he's a psychologist who had been written, writing for years on the subject of creativity. And then he, you know, offered himself as a creativity coach. And he works with some really well-known people in the dance, music, writing, you know, art fields. And, you know, his job is to help somebody who's coming to, to him who's really just stuck, you know, or re, or has hit some kind of a creative wall. He's he's there to help them separate their, their clear thoughts from their unclear thoughts and find a way to move forward. So, um, you know, he isn't, he's not, an LOA teacher or an LOA, um, Merlin just got here. You mean he left, Jeanette? Well, he's been outside since this morning, and uh, he oh. just got here. Come on, Kitty. He decided come to come in. Oh, hey, Merlin. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's not an LOA uh, new thought teacher by any stretch of the imagination. He is a psych- uh, psychologist by training, um, and he... He's the author of like 40 books, so he writes a lot about, you know, wow, about being a writer and how to, you know, do that and function and make money and, you know, have a happy life, that kind of thing. But he's also written, um, one of the books he wrote was about, I think it was called The Atheist's Way. <laughs> and I think that he was making, he was, I think that he was making a point about um, Julia Cameron he had a book called The Artist's Way. And it was really Christian-centric. The artist's way really um, – it, hmm. it, it it talks about a higher a higher power. It talks about God uh, in the artist's way. It talks about letting go and letting God kind of help you through the struggles. And um, his approach is, is really more for people who find the word God um, – hard to handle and I know when I first read The Artist's Way I had a really hard time reading um, the God references and then she said something if this bothers you think of it as as God equals good orderly direction G-O-D good orderly direction and I thought that is cool I can embrace that (laughs) and then of course you know over the years I've I've completely come to the spiritual side so you know it doesn't bother me anymore all um but he you know i think he wrote a book to kind of answer or provide a resource for people who really just couldn't even say good orderly direction it was just too much for them to Hmm. even embrace embrace that idea so he's not he's not an loa teacher by any means but i do think that a lot of what he shares is really helpful and 
reading his book, Coaching the Artist Within, I found a lot of his suggestions really, really soothing and really simple but effective. You know, so that's why I thought it would be good to share it. On you know, G- what, what, I like I love a couple of things in that quote, but my, one of my favorites might be this: to get on get on your own side. Yes, <laughs> get on your own side. I really like that. Um, I don't know about the suggestion where we discern the origins of the thoughts, although, honestly, I think Bashar has very similar advice, right? I mean, Bashar invites looking for where it comes from in order to kind of help us unravel it. And uh, Abe has said, you don't need to do that. You don't. And, and yeah. I, I have to agree, in the red-hot moment, you don't need to know. It's probably better to just get to a better-feeling thought first. But I have also found for myself that understanding the origin of some thoughts has has made it easier for me to, uh, it's like pulling back the curtain on it and it, it loses its power because you've pulled back the curtain, you know where it comes from and so it no longer has any power over you. That so, makes sense to me too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's it's one of those things that we're all on an individual journey and there might be times when pulling back that curtain is a really helpful, like if it's something that, a pattern that you keep repeating over and over and over again, it's worth pulling the curtain back on that and one. Where what I, I like is the reminder that that process doesn't have to be long and painful. You don't have to journal for 30 minutes on every negative thought, but it could be something as simple as, doesn't the question go something like this, Nancy? What would I have to believe in order to see things this way or how does it go exactly it's like what would i have to believe i don't know there there are a couple of questions like that that are short inquiries that i've found can be like spontaneous instant um they they make the thing go poof immediately it doesn't take long amounts of reflection or insight or journaling around it yeah well i think that's asking a kind of a slightly different question um what would I have to believe in order for this to be true? Right, that um, reveals the belief, yeah, that's not helping us. And if I can see that thing like this, okay, so Mer- Merlin's supposedly not here, and um, at least I'm believing that he's not, and and I feel bad. Okay, what would I have to believe is true in order for me to be feeling like this? I'd have to believe that something bad happened to him. And when I when I can see that belief in the light of day, I I, could, I know where this stuff comes from. It was programmed in me. We're supposed to watch out for animals because they can't watch out for themselves. And I did a very bad job of watching out for him. And now he's ruined. So if I if I can see the ridiculousness of that belief, which knowing what I know now about life, at least what I believe about life and who we are and how the whole thing works, I know there's no such thing as death. There's no such thing as something gone wrong. And there's no such thing as his demise or his ending. I mean, even if he did have a very terrible death in his physical body, that that's not that's not what someone who doesn't have my spiritual beliefs how they would see it. So, yeah, I uh, I think you're right, Nancy. That that well, it comes back to what we've said many times, doesn't it? Is that it's important for us to sift for ourselves what rings our bell and what doesn't and not just take someone else's word for it because they're supposed to be the authority on it. Exactly. And I also want to go back to, you know, when you when you were practicing day after day after day, imagining, oh, is Merlin at the back door? Does Merlin want in? Oh, is Merlin in the backyard? Oh, is that Merlin in the front yard? You know, you were kind of practicing kind of, you know, 
vibrationally calling him. And then you had this dream where he was okay, yeah. he's fine. He but walked he's across it. Yeah, he yeah. walked across from left to right, and he wasn't looking at me at all, but he was fine. He was just going somewhere, wherever he was going. And you got the impression he wasn't coming back. Okay, what yeah. I got out, what I got out of that really was that he felt your vibrational call as you were practicing that <laughs> every day. He felt your vibrational call and he was trying to let you know, hey, I, I'm okay, but I'm probably I'm not getting out of here. <laughs> and then, and then, lo and behold, you know, this, your neighbor says, hey, whatever happened to that orange? Hey. I can't yet. <laughs> I got to tell you two funny things. So, um, when we just because we've been talking about Merlin so much, it shouldn't crack me up or shouldn't surprise me, but it does crack me up. Okay, Elsa came in here. She was sitting on the desk and she started trembling. She's looking out the window. I'm like, whoa, what is she looking at? Is she sick? What's she looking at? She and I look out the window. She's trembling because she sees the neighbor's cat in our front garden, just right outside the window. And um, and the neighbor's cat is staring intently at the ground cover. Like, he he hears or sees something that Elsa and I can't see. At least I couldn't see it. I don't know if Elsa did. But I think Elsa was getting a little excited because she saw him, and he doesn't – everyone everyone gets – he's not friends with anyone here. We'll say that. So I'm watching this cat because he he's going from, from every angle around this garden that he's trying to get at something. But I don't think there could be a cat in there. At first I was wondering, ooh, I wonder if Merlin's laying in there. Because in the summertime, sometimes cats do. They, it's thick enough they can get underneath there, and the birds will land on the top. It's really quite interesting. But I didn't think there would be any cats in it. So we were both watching him while we are doing this call. And um, and then we turn, we see the neighbor's cat turn, and he looks kind of surprised. And I can't see what he, what he sees, so I had to get up and move to see what he was looking at. It was Merlin. So I, you heard me let him in the door. And um, But he ran straight upstairs because the dogs are barking and he doesn't like that. So he ran straight upstairs to the room I set up for him. And just when you started talking about him just a minute ago, Nancy, he came he came running down and he jumped right into the bed. He's laying right next to my desk, <laughs> giving himself a little bath now that he's in his nice, warm, toasty home. <laughs> I love this cat. <laughs> I still like the name Bombay Butterbutt because it's so much fun to say. Uh, but he does feel like play. But yeah, Butterbutt alone is is adorable. <laughs> he did put on some weight at uh, – her name is Capri. He put on some weight living in her laundry room for a couple months. Sure, she said, you're going to notice he's a little rounder. He had no exercise. Yeah. yeah, he didn't get the exercise. And even if he was allowed to, you know, like wander around her home, it's not the same as wandering the hood. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but, you know, I loved what you said about when he saw you, he just, you know, like he recognized you. Oh, my gosh. It was so cute. You guys, the, the one of the other times I experienced that when I had an apartment, I lived on the third level. This was my first place after I graduated from college, my very first apartment. And I didn't know much. I wasn't, I didn't know much about animals or anything. But I heard a cat meowing. It was Sunday morning. I heard a cat meowing. I'm in my pajamas. So I, I opened the door. It was a, actually a kitten I heard meowing. I'm going to cry when I tell the story. I heard a kitten meowing. So I opened the front door, but I didn't stand up to open it because I'm in my pajamas, so I didn't like need the whole world to see me at my front door. So I got down on the ground. I, I reached up and opened the door with my head 
and I poked my head out the door to see who was meowing, and this orange and white fluffy kitten came running straight for my head. Oh, my God, he was so cute. He was so happy to see me. I I um I didn't have any experience with trying to get animals homes, but I brought him inside. I had two cats. I think I might have had three at that point myself, and I wasn't supposed to have cats at this apartment. So I was trying to get this guy home. I put a poster up of him at work. I called him. I eventually named him Flamer and kept him, and he was one of my favorite cats of my entire life. And he, orange and white cat, kind of reminds me a lot of this guy right here. (laughs) (laughs) My first cat I ever had was Whiskey, an orange cat, and then then there was Flamer, orange and white cat. Not that I don't love Elvis, gray and white guy. Everyone knows how much I love that guy, but I got a thing with orange and white cats, I guess. Almost the same thing happened to me when I was living in Salt Lake. I was going to college, and my boyfriend and I at the time were, um, he was my fiancé. We were engaged to be married, and we were uh, renting a house uh, near the University of Utah. It's like, uh, I don't know, 11th, I want to say it was 11th uh, East and 4th South, something like Mm -hmm. that. Anyway, um, we were in a duplex, and our landlords were on the other side of the duplex. So one day I hear, meow. And I'm like, what's that sound? What's that sound? And we go to the front door, and here's this tiny, itty-bitty, adorable little kitten. It was black and white, and it was just so cute. And we brought it in because it was cold, and we warmed it up. And we were not supposed to have cats. We're not allowed to have any, <laughs> and not allowed to have any pets at all. And we we're like, oh, this cat's so cute. So maybe about two hours later, I get a phone call from my landlord. No, going no. Hey, Hey, have you guys seen a cat? <laughs> oh, I thought maybe they saw you taking the stray. Oh, the no, theirs? But, but we were kind of busted because they were like, have, have you seen a cat? Because we just got one for our little girl, and she accidentally let it out. We haven't seen it since. <laughs> oh, my God. And um, so the kitty just went to the wrong door, you know. Oh, my but, God, um, that is so cute. We were kind of busted because we were like, uh, yeah, it's here. We heard it meowing and we left it. It's been here for two hours. You know. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so from your book, Jeanette, were, was there anything surprising about Merlin that you didn't know? Well, I'm still studying. I'm kind of saving the best part for last. I did skip ahead to read on Merlin, but I technically haven't got to that part yet. But, um, hey, there were... There were, I have been spending a lot of time with other books. I read one, oh, I brought it down. It was called The Martian by, I want to say, Andrew somebody. It was on the bestseller list. It's just a regular fiction book uh, about uh, their this astronauts are on Mars. They got a little mission. And he gets left behind um, because they thought he was dead. It turns out he's not dead. And the whole story is him trying to survive on Mars. And uh, it was, like I said, bestseller, so I thought I needed a new good story. So I brought it home, and um, oh, my God, the guy who wrote it, he's an engineer, like a technical, geeky, nerdy kind of guy. There were so many pages devoted to the technical side of how this guy survived. I followed along like a good sport for, I'd say, at least the first third, maybe the entire first half of the book, but eventually – I would skip all the technical parts just to hear, just to get the storyline. So um, I was really glad to be done with that book. And then I picked up one that I'm loving. It was recommended by some guy at the bookstore, a fantasy fiction called Red Rising. And it doesn't compare to the Patrick Rothfuss that I 
loved before, but it is good enough that I'm reading it and enjoying it. It's a different style. So it, I think that makes it easier to appreciate too. So, my, But that also has to do with they're on Mars. I was like, how weird is that? I didn't even know that, but I got these two fiction books on stories about being on Mars. Um, so I have been having a lot of reading time lately. It just hasn't been LOA stuff lately. Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> and BJ Novak, one more thing. Oh, my God, I love that book. It, you know the guy from The Office? He. What What else has he been in? He was on The Office. You know the actor, Nancy, B.J. Novak? No, no, I don't. He, he's an author. He's a writer. Who knew? He's a really, I think he's a fabulous storyteller. So this book is just a bunch of different short stories. But you can tell they are written by someone with a little bit warped sense of humor. <laughs> he has a different way of looking at the world that opens with the story of, it's a rematch between the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> it's a rematch. The hare. <laughs> Yeah, the hare's humiliation at losing to the tortoise and what his life was like after losing to the tortoise and how uh, he re- he wants to redeem himself. And, oh, my gosh, it was just hilarious. So it's a, it's just an eclectic compilation of different types of stories. They're like, oh, I don't know, some of them are three pages, some of them are maybe 15 pages each. Really, 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 really fun. I'm loving that book. <laughs> So have you been reading anything, Nancy? You know, I have been so busy with some other things that I'm doing that sitting down, I I find myself just, if I want to sit down and read, I'm grabbing that Catherine Ponder, The Dynamic Laws of Prosperity book and reading. And I had just Mm. read a section she had written about um, intuition. And she had had some really good um, declarations related to intuition. And she talked about the difference between internal intuition and external intuition. What's that? Uh, Say more. I've never heard of yeah, that. Yeah, so like the internal is when you get quiet and the answer comes to you. External is where um, oh. you ask for something and then, you know, a stranger makes a comment or, you know, somebody writes a blog post that gets your attention or some, somebody external to you says something or shows you something that points you in the direction of the answer. And okay. um, and so um, she was talking about that. Oh, and here are some of the things. She said a powerful attitude of mind to establish at um, these times is I choose this if it is for my highest good and if not, divine intuition now send me the divine equivalent. So they're talking about, you know, when you're asking whether or not um, to pursue a hunch, you know, ask for, um, say, I choose this if it is for my highest good. If not, divine intuition now send me the divine equivalent. And she said, when doubts about your intuitive promptings arise, it is good to ask divine intuition just what is the perfect truth about the situation. Reveal it to me now and make it so plain and clear that I cannot possibly mistake it. And another affirmation that she suggests is divine intuition is now showing me the way. Divine intuition is now working in and through me, in and through all concerned, producing easily and quickly the perfect outcome perfect result now that affirmation to me is way too long way too long Mm -hmm. for me but Mm -hmm. i like the idea of divine intuition is now working through me or now work i agree or or divine intuition is now showing me the way those two affirmations i really like and i could see myself kind of you know taking those on um she talked about um 
you know, examples of using what I would consider kind of dowsing um, as, as a way to find an answer. But but um, there was a businessman, there's a whole story about a businessman who wanted to get an answer on a particular decision. And he had called some business associates for um, guidance, you know, for, for their opinion, and he couldn't reach anybody. And so he said, if, if I'm able to connect with the right people by 5 o'clock p.m., then I know I'll know my answer. But if I don't hear from anybody before 5 o'clock, then the answer is no. And um, so nobody contacted him and, um, until after 5 o'clock. So he took, that as, he took that to mean that his intuition was letting him know the answer was no. And... Um, so, and to me, that's a form of dowsing, you know, um, Ooh, when, you, yeah. when you say if this happens by this time or if this happens before that happens, then it means da-da-da-da-da. You're like applying meaning before it happens. And to me, that's a form of dowsing. Um, <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because dowsing is um, really just the energy, you're using the, the tool, the either the the rods or the pendulum, you're using them and the energy of your body to give you a yes or a no. But like so many other things, so many other tools that we use, often we ask the question and then in that split second before we get the answer, we already really no. know. That's like we know. flipping the coin, right? Like, right, and then, which you know, is another form of dowsing. Yeah. yeah, wow, I like it. Which is another form of dowsing. So, but um, yeah, I just I just had read that, and she had five um, steps for opening up your intuition, and I, um, I didn't think that they were excellent steps. They were they were okay, but I mean, um, the first step is to realize that intuition is a spiritual faculty of the mind, which does not explain or reason, but simply points the way to your greater good. And in my opinion, intuition. Because what I understand now is that information comes into the body through the heart, and then the heart passes that information onto the brain. So to me, intuition, and I often do feel my intuition right just above my heart chakra. When I, when I get like intuition to do something or not do something, I often feel like a gentle pressure right in the area just above my heart chakra. So I think it's not just a, I don't think intuition is just a mental faculty. Mm-hmm. I think that it, there's, um, you know, a strong connection it to the heart. resides in our body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and specifically the electromagnetic field that's generated by the heart. And then um, sec- her second thing was, as you go about daily life, uh, whether your work is mental or physical, act as though you were in the presence of divine intelligence and divine intuition. Train yourself to realize that divine intuition is right with you, is interested mm. in you, knows all about you, and, and delights in guiding and helping you. And that kind of falls in line with the post Carrie had on GBU about pronoia and um, and she had a, a quote. She had a quote in the success form about, uh, um, you know, everyone is my friend and is helping me. You know, it's that same kind of idea of, and you do that too, Jeanette. You have that, um, 
the whole universe is, has my back. The system, yeah, the system is set up for my success, and um, it, it's rigged in my favor. I've got a couple of versions of that. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. And she's saying here, yeah. as you take this attitude of mind about whatever you are doing or whatever concerns you, you will find new power at work for you and around you. And of course, it makes sense because if you're taking on that energy or belief that the entire divine intelligence is is knows about you, is interested in you, knows all about your delights and is delighted in guiding and helping you, then you're creating that as you as you embrace that belief, you're you're creating that reality to be true, you know? Mm. Um, and then, let's see, the third was, as you take these steps mentally, you will find that you do not have to struggle, even in, in your thinking. It makes things right and better. Instead, you will discover that whatever you think about, give your attention to, or are interested in, begins to reveal its secrets to you. Um, you will stop thinking of your desired good as apart, away, or separate from you. You will stop thinking of your desired good as difficult to attain. You will stop scheming and trying to maneuver and manipulate people or events. Instead, you will begin to realize that through the help of divine intuition, all things are already at hand, ready to come forth as ideas, plans, and methods of procedure. In due time, is happy results. And then her fourth suggestion was, after beginning to do everything as though you were in the presence of divine intelligence and intuitive wisdom, which knows your needs, is interested, and is able and happy to help you, you will find not only that your abilities are increasing more and more, but also that you are being instructed from within about many things you need to know. Um, and... There's a quote here, she says, desire is God tapping at the door of your mind, trying to give you greater good. Uh -huh, uh, I like that. Yeah, and then on the fifth one is after having, and, and these are much longer than I'm, I'm only reading just snippets from the suggestions. Uh, the fifth one is after having made your decrees upon divine intelligence in your midst, you must prepare for surprises. Your problems are not always solved in the way you had in mind, nor does your divine her heritage of good always come about in the way you humanly expect. If you are not conditioned for surprises at this point, you may miss your good. This is the point where you make the definite decision that you will choose only the good and accept only the good in various experiences that follow. Results always follow decisions. Things begin to happen and that things begin to happen that fall in line with your decisions. In these attitudes of mind, you can develop your intuition in inner ways that come as hunches or promptings or as direct knowledge from the still, small voice within you speaking a yes or a no. And, uh, and, then, she, and then she goes on separately to talk about the outer way. And now I'm in a section where she's talking about creative imagination. It reminds me of Neville's um, teachings. Oh, and she makes the very same comment um, creative imagination can dissolve unhappy memories. You can also use your creative imagination to dissolve unhappy memories, failures in business, in harmony in relationships, and other negative experiences from the past. In the realm of divine intelligence, there is no past, present, or future. There is no time element at all. Since you live, move, and have your being in the midst of this immense intelligence, you can gain dominion over your past, present, and future. That reminds me exactly of what um, Neville talks about. 
in his revisioning. Wait, now, yeah, now that you say that, that you're right. Hmm. Yeah, same exact mm-hmm. stuff. So anyway, still reading, still enjoying, you know, getting lots Very of good, cool. juicy stuff out of it. I know it's kind of boring for the book club because I've been talking about the same No, for, it's not. That was a great excerpt. Months. No, thanks for sharing them. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a, this is actually what I wanted this to be. You know, whatever's inspiring us lately to share, so that anyone who's tuned in might find something they'd like to plug into as well. So, having said that, I know Brenda's been muted on our call, but Brenda, if you've got anything you want to tell us about, we'd love to hear. Or Carrie in chat room, um, yeah, anything. Let me see if I got what I got next. Oh, I think Catherine Ponder is up next for me, to be honest. Uh got some book called, oh, <laughs> I like this, Words from the Wise. <laughs> it's to 6,000 of the smartest things ever said. <laughs> I really wanted to own that book. I opened it. Seriously, every page I looked at, I was like, well, that is really good. Well, that's really good, too. Wow, I like that. I was like, yeah, i got to buy this. Um, so, yeah, def- the Dynamic Laws of Prosperity is next up. I still have Radical Remission to plug into sometime. I That hasn't made it to the top of my stack yet, but. Brenda's unmuted now. Oh, Brenda. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi. I've just been enjoying your conversation. Um, the only thing that I've, I haven't, I've got my antenna out for a book that really calls to me. I just haven't come across the right one lately. Um, but I have listened to, I've been downloading some podcasts on iTunes um, from the, the uh, the the Chopra Center, the Deepak Chopra oh. Center, he has podcasts. Is it David he, G or is it Deepak? Yeah, David. It's David G. David G. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, he had this. I had this one podcast. Had this. It, it was a whole bunch of meditations and stuff. And and during in this one podcast, it was he was talking about um, connecting to your dream life, and he recommended an exercise he's got it sort of recorded where he walks you through this little mini meditation exercise right and he suggests you do it the last thing before you close your eyes to go to sleep um actually probably after after you've got your eyes closed and so i tried it and what it is is um before you go to bed at night uh at first i thought hmm i I don't know about this. Like, I kind of like the idea of Neville's revisioning a little better, like the sounds of it, right? Because it's anyway. But David G suggested um, every night before you go to bed, walk yourself through your day in five minutes. Like, so you'd have to, you know, like see yourself on a screen, everything you did from the time you got up in the morning until the time you until the time you you went to bed and um that it will something about doing this will make you more aware in your waking life as time goes on if you after you do it night after night after night after night he said to uh it will inform your dream life or something and you I'm not quite sure it wasn't clear to me how that worked I'll have to listen to it again but I did it for about 3 or 4 nights in a row, so I saw myself um, what I did that day, you know, as best I, I could recall everything. And you you have to fast forward yourself pretty fast, you know. You go, you just keep flipping from one thing you did to the next thing to the next thing, so it's all wrapped up in five minutes. But I found that 
every night that I've done it, oh, dream. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, like it feels like I have almost haven't slept because I've my wow. dream life is so active. And so then I so then last night I thought because I'd had Neville's book out uh ooh uh which one was it? Not the power of awareness. Oh, where's my Kindle? Anyway, um where he talks about revisioning and I thought, well, what if I did that before I went you know, before I went to bed, you know, just before I closed my eyes, just walk myself through my day and make everything the way I wanted it to be. And uh, so I did that, and I I don't really remember having quite the same dreams, but I'm not really sure what the implications <laughs> of mm-hmm. David G's way is, but I do know that it does do something to your dream world. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and the promise is the book that um talks about revisioning its chapter. Oh yeah, that's yeah, actually that was it, right. Yeah. Gosh, that that dream thing almost sounds a little bit like segment intending, except he's talking about doing it in your in your dream or doing it as you fall asleep. David G? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's He's, he's talking about you, you don't try and do anything in your dreams. You just, um, before you go to bed, walk, just observe yourself without judgment. Uh, go, everything that did during the day. And I sort of got the impression that um, if there was something that, uh, something that didn't serve you, that over time, doing this every night... Uh, you would become more aware and um, you would find yourself actually changing at the cellular level so that you didn't you didn't do those things cool without even mm. trying necessarily so mm. yeah I got goosebumps <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. thanks for sharing about that Brenda very cool so uh, where would a person be able to plug into those podcasts iTunes. Um, oh, oh, would they wait just a look up under David G, I, or would it be Chopra Center? It, yeah, I actually I've got it on my iPod here. Hang on here. I'll just go into podcast and hmm. oh, yeah, the show. Oh, here it is. Yeah, it's the Chopra the Chopra Center uh, podcast. Go into podcasts and then the Chopra Center, and then this particular one is called Dream Meditation uh, with David G. Dream Meditation with David G. Yeah. Right on. Well, yeah. The, oh, the Chopra Center I'm glad for you Wellbeing. Unmuted. Pardon me. I'm glad you unmuted to share that with us. That's a good tip. Yeah. Interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep working with it for a while. I might change now and again to the revisioning thing to pay more attention because I just started the revisioning one last night, so I I was unsure. I think I dreamt, but I wasn't as aware of my dream life um, at the at the point that I woke up as I was when I did the one with David G, where you just sort of relive your day. <laughs> And when you relive your day, does he tell you to redo things that you didn't 
like or did no, they just No, that was the only thing that kind of puzzled way. No, no, that kind of puzzled me. I thought uh, I don't know, do I really want Yeah, so, something about it didn't seem right, but <laughs> I could feel though for someone who feels stuck with any other ways that this could be a place to point some power, feel empowered and do some magic. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I already got something in mind for my own self, so I like it. Yeah, yeah. to become a become the watcher. In chat, um, Carrie was mentioning that she recommends mastering the money game from Tony Robbins if you are wanting the rich mindset. She says, um, "I'm not really LOA. It's not really LOA, but it's got great things from 50 of the greatest and wealthiest." Um, they work with billionaires and they work with billions and make more billions. I guess that's what she's saying. And Jeanette, you were saying you studied, with, you studied with um, Tony Robbins in person? David G. I studied with oh. David G. Sorry. Oh, you studied with David G. Yeah, I, I uh, spent a week out in California at the Chopra Center and um, he was the meditation instructor. I don't think he does all of the ones, but he happened to be the guy who was, and at the time I didn't know, wow, I got the cool guy. But afterwards, I learned what a privilege that was. But he was impressive even before I knew who he was. So, And did it help you learn meditation, or did you actually practice it when he was teaching you? I had to because, okay, well, I didn't have to do anything. But when you're there in person, when this bell rings, everyone goes into this room, and we have this ritual for, you know, taking shoes off and finding your spot and getting in position – and for 30 minutes until the bell rings again, you will do what we just learned how to do. So, yeah, it was kind of mandatory meditation. <laughs> was it and, primordial sound meditation? Oh, you know, I don't even know what we did. Um, and, was but it I did quiet? Experience, <laughs> yes, it was very quiet. Oh, okay. And we did it in the room that's conditioned for meditation. They said, you know, like what the one of those things you want to, maybe we'll cover this on our call next month, Nancy, would we go deeper into the subject of meditation, but the conditioned space, we're practicing that, so we only go in that room when it's time for meditation, it's not used mm-hmm. for anything else, and it was really cool and peaceful, but, but you know, I mean, that was years ago, and you know where I stand with meditation today, so it was not transformative for me, <laughs> but David G is freaking cool, he was such a cool guy, really, 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 I really liked him. So yeah, he's got like an amazing so, hypnotic, relaxing voice. <laughs> oh yeah, he is. Yeah, and he's he's that in real life too. I mean, that's a guy who's walking the talk. He's he's a guy that would be really easy to share energy with. Did um, you guys? To did, Carrie's, oh, go ahead, Nancy. Oh, I was just gonna say, did you guys? Um, it was a post. It was quite a long time ago. It was last year, I think, and it was from Peter in Australia. He had posted a. It was a video, a YouTube video, but it was a um, relaxation meditation. And the the ironic part about it was that the guy who did the meditation was talking like a mile a minute. And you would think that that would not be meditative, but it was shocking how deep and how fast you would drop. Yeah. Nancy, what do I search on? I'll go search on... (laughs) Things from Peter. From Peter and search, and maybe even Petacito. He might have, well, 
I don't know. When people change their be. name, how does that change in, in the well, search engine? It, he has a whole new account, so it's um, both should still exist. We should be able to find Peter's posts under both names. So, so if you go under Peter Cito, which is what he used okay. to be, right, and then you search yeah. um, re, uh, meditation. meditation, look for the one that says relaxation meditation because I, when he posted it, I went to check it, and I could not believe, and he even said, Peter said, this guy talks fast and like, and you're thinking, how can that be relaxing? It really is. And I found myself listening to that meditation over and over and over again because it was so <laughs> it was it was hypnotic. And and actually I think that part of his why he's speaking at such a fast pace was the intention was for it to be hypnotic. Like almost a hypnotic induction. Almost into, like a white noise. Oh, I think um, not, not like a white noise, but like um well, there you are, and you're sitting very comfortably, and you're in the chair, and you're thinking, I'm not really that tired, and I really can't sleep. It's really not, you know, you're really not that tired. And he's talking like kind of like that, and you're thinking, how can this possibly be, <laughs> you know? And yet it was incredibly relaxing and very soothing. And then eventually he stops speaking like that, and it gets quiet, and then you really, you know, you're really deep into the meditation at that point. But, yes, check it out, Jeanette, I think. I think you'll so, like it. Yeah, I shared the link in chat room, but for anyone listening to the recording, the thread is called Positive Thoughts Meditation. It's posted in March of 2014. And here's the guy. You can barely hear it. Yeah, I like it already. All right, I'm going to have to leave this tape. But I even said these are usually exactly the kind of meditations I run from, um, but this one was really different. It really was. I enjoyed it. So you know, it's weird. Mm. Oh, I can't award points, but maybe that's because this he doesn't exist anymore. Isn't I guess so. <laughs> There's a new Peter now. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you can't even give me points for my comment. It's like that whole thread. Wait, I can. Yeah, I can. <clears throat> I just oh. Did. I can't give my I can't give myself points, points because <laughs> I can't give myself points. <laughs> oh yeah, would that be All funny? Right, I got <laughs> I got one more thing I got to do before Russ gets here. That gives me forty minutes to do a thirty minute job, so I probably better start getting my act together for it. Um, did you have but one more I, thing you wanted to say about Carrie? About Carrie? Probably did. Mm-hmm. I probably did. Um, I I did check out that book at the. Um, bookstore this is before Carrie recommended it and I thought this is going to be really I loved the title Mastering the Money Game especially written by Tony Robbins come on what's not to love right. but but when I flipped through it I thought wow this is just so practical and I mean I've studied a lot of stuff in my finance in becoming a financial planner and working in financial services that I feel like I it I didn't have inspiration to study any more of that I like anything though that helps me understand and embrace and identify with the wealth mindset so i will likely take a second look at it thanks for that tip carrie thank you carrie um all right so our next well we meet in two weeks on friday for a call about nothing i kind of i kind of like this one (laughs) didn't feel like i was sharing any big ideas from fabulous books but this was still a really fun conversation so thank you nancy and brenda for dialing in for it you're welcome 
<laughs> have fun with Merlin. <laughs> Yay, I will. Love that <laughs> All right. Big love, ladies. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>